Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to invite Michael Horn as our guest today. He is the official media and representation contact for Billy Meyer, who was one of the first people contacted by an extraterrestrial craft and beings. This has been a long-standing recorded case called the Billy Meyer case, or the Billy Meyer UFO contact. And there's massive amounts of information in this case. Originally, Michael Horn, who is the producer of The Silent Revolution of Truth, contacted its rainmaking time after I did a piece on UFOs, generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record by Lisley Kane. And he sent a very provocative email to me to become familiar with the Billy Meyer case. The only scientifically proven UFO case. Now, actually, I had heard of it, but I didn't know much about it. Let's have him create a frame of reference for us so that we understand why this is so important. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Michael Horn to its rainmaking time. Good morning. Uh, good morning, and thank you for that introduction and explanation. Indeed, it's how it unfolded with us. <laughs> There's so many aspects of the work of Billy Meyer and your connection to him and the work that you're doing with and on behalf of his findings and discoveries and prophecies. I'm usually, Michael, a little bit hesitant to put forth prophecy-type material simply because there's so many hitting us right now from so many different sources, both ancient and modern, and I didn't want to contribute to the 2012 scare or any of that projection, and so I've been hesitant, but because the subject is so far-reaching, and you seem to be really responsible in the way you communicate, I thought I'd have you on. So why don't you introduce, what is the Billy Meyer case to us? Lay the frame of reference for us. Okay. Um, Billy Meyer is, uh, as of today, a 73-plus-year-old man who claims that when he was a five-year-old boy growing up in Switzerland and five years old in 1942, that he and his father sighted a silver disc in the sky, uh, they didn't know what it was. His father speculated it might have been a secret weapon of Hitler's, uh, and they let it go at that. Shortly thereafter, young Edward Albert Meyer, he, was, he wasn't called Billy until much later in his life, uh, young Edward Albert Meyer kind of heard a voice in his head, an elderly man's voice speaking to him in his German language. And uh, he was a little perplexed by this. He wasn't quite sure what that was about. And then within about a week of that, as I understand it, well, he went outside, young Edward went outside, beautiful rural Switzerland, I mean, the picture postcard everywhere you look, and wandered off into the forest near his home. And there in the clearing in the forest was a, a pear-shaped craft sitting on strut-like legs, in front of which was standing uh, a man who appeared to be quite elderly in what it looked to young Edward to be a deep-sea diver suit without a helmet. And he said that he he was remarkably unafraid because there was something kind, uh, safe, you know, benevolent about this man. Uh, the man spoke to him and invited him on board this craft with him. And that began uh, an 11-year tutelage, if you will, with this man whose name was Spoth. And uh, this was young Meyer's first teacher. Now, what we're talking about here are voluntary face-to-face, wide-awake contacts, uh, meetings, if you will, that are in no way akin to what are commonly called alien abductions, which for the most part aren't even that anyhow. So this was the beginning of, of Meyer's experiences with human beings, fully human beings, who are 
far in advance of us, and obviously in technologically, and it's uh, quite clear after one reads the material spiritually as well in their consciousness and how they live and behave. And that was, uh, as I say, a contact uh, that would last for 11 years. It would be picked up after this man died. Uh, the contacts were picked up by a woman named Asket, whose people were also a fully human race, but whose people come from an adjoining universe to ours, whereas Svath and his people, the Playaren people, simply come from, uh, well, uh, you know, a distant part uh, of our in our own universe. Uh, the the people of uh, Asket's world come from, you know, a separate adjoining universe. So we are told. Now I should simply tell people as well that there is um, nothing that you have to believe here about this. This is simply information that's given, and uh, you make of it what you will once once you look into it and all that. Now, after 11 years of study with Asket. In 1975, Meyer had the first of what are called his official contacts. And that means that the contacts, which were started with a woman named Semyaze, uh, and then as well with her father, Ptah, and another man, Quetzal, and uh, many other uh, people, mainly these the play Aran people, but some who also came from other uh, human races and who look, uh, I, I should interject here, that the people that Meyer has been meeting with for more than 68 years have represented a number of uh, Earth races in terms of how they would appear to us, such as Asian, Black, uh, Middle European, uh, you know, more like Scandinavian, etc. We're told that there is such a wide variety of races and skin colors that it's uh, we have no concept whatsoever you know so we'll leave that for the moment to say that the official contacts then with semiaze were called that because it was uh, with these contacts beginning i think about january 28th 1975 something like that that meyer was to transcribe each of the contacts conversations with uh, you know between him and semiaze and or uh, any of the other uh, people who would participate. Were these people in physical form? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, physical beings, you know, three-dimensional bodies, the whole deal. Okay, so this wasn't a telepathic thing, like you see them in front of you and you're talking with them. Yes, but uh, his contacts with, uh, uh, certainly the official contacts, and I, I think most of the other ones, uh, since they don't usually call up on the telephone, he was taught how to receive the telepathic uh, message from them, and quite literally... Uh, starting when he was five, he was taught to recognize over three million different symbols that are transmitted via thought or telepathy that convey a word or a concept. And these, uh, this is just a whole other level of um, ability that he has, and this is one of the ways they communicate with him. And what I should say is that, which it kind of leads to the next part of it. My question to you in terms of the first photos taken. I know he was first contacted in 1942, but it wasn't until he was in India in 1964 where he took his first photos of these craft, correct? That's true. To fill it in, those were taken of Asket's ships. And uh, when I say ships, there were other people who were in working with Asket in that part of this particular mission, if you will. And so while he photographed her ship alone a couple of times, hovering above this uh, Buddhist ashram at which he was studying at the time, 
He also photographed uh, a totality of eight of the ships in one photograph uh, in this area when Asket and other, others arrived for that photo op. And we can also say that there was an article on Meyer in the New Delhi Statesman newspaper in September of 1964, where uh, it not only reported on him, but he had been interviewed about his experiences with people from outer space. And a young girl who was at the ashram, whose grandfather was the head monk, uh, she witnessed not only you know Meyer and and the ships, but a woman you know Asket, who had come down on a couple of occasions and walked the grounds with Meyer while she spoke with him. Asket also occasionally would simply show up in her room late at night while she was falling asleep, you know, as a young girl. And she said there was just a very soothing quality, like someone comes in to sit with you while you're falling asleep. And that uh, in the mornings, she would wake up always feeling like she'd learned something, knew something more than she went to sleep with. And this woman now, uh, she's in our film, The Silent Revolution of Truth. She's already a retired UN diplomat, having spent a dozen years the UN General Assembly on behalf of Cambodia. And uh, both she and Meyer were evaluated by a um, expert consultant to the U.S. Army Special Forces who reads and teaches the reading of body language, which can be uh, of you know, life-saving importance to people who are in uh, those high-intensity uh, military situations. Well, Anyhow, he evaluated both of them for truthfulness, for honesty, and he basically gave them a thumbs up. So a little more information on the 64 photos. I was going to say that there is a body of information going around on the Internet that there was an investment from Hitler to build craft in Antarctica, to set up kind of a cadre of craft interested in advanced technology. I guess we would call that black technology. But... Do you agree that that existed, or do you disagree that that existed, or do you not know? From what I know, the Germans were, uh, some of their scientists were impulsed, meaning they they were receiving uh, specific uh, assistance telepathically without knowing it. So they would get an idea that would pop in their head that would lead them to develop something. And what they were led to develop with a little help were early forms of these type of craft. Now, the craft that the Germans slash Nazis then at the time developed did not have anything near the capabilities of advanced extraterrestrial craft, but they were pretty good. They were uh, beyond and more advanced than any of the aircraft that any of the Allies or the Axis powers had at the time. And when uh, I was told a story by Lieutenant Colonel Wendell Stevens that the um, there was a bombing run. I think it was 800 Allied bombers or something enormous like that that was sent up to attack uh, Germany. And uh, the Germans sent up two of these discs, which took out 200 of the bombers. And uh, the questions always you know, were, why didn't they continue to use them? And that's something that there's speculation about, but they, they didn't. And part of the problem may have been that um, once the ETs that were helping impulse the Germans thinking that they were, you know, a nice orderly race that was going to help to bring peace to the world when they kind of got their own, uh, you know, story straight on that. They impulsed information that uh, inhibited the function of these craft rather than helped them to develop. However, nonetheless, some of the Germans, uh, Nazis that escaped with some craft escaped to South America 
and got, in, I think, into Brazil. Uh, also, these craft, that while they were seen around, you know, flying saucers, quote-unquote, around the world in the 50s and all, a lot of that was from these uh, Nazi craft, and there were even some of these people who were pretending to be extraterrestrial. So sometimes <laughs> if somebody would encounter, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you know, they they were representing themselves as being ETs. I mean, this is this took a lot of strange twists and turns, but the, apparently the um, a lot of the technical information fell into the hands of the Allies after the war. The U.S., uh, Great Britain, Canada, and um, I'm trying to think if it was Russia also got it. Uh, and since that time, I think China and France, and at the levels of um, top secret, you know, black military, these craft have been developed over the decades. So when we see so-called UFOs in the sky, mm, the greatest possibilities are if if it's not natural phenomenon, which can actually be quite compelling. We have an article about the natural phenomenon that's mistaken for UFO, you know, solid objects. I can assure you that some of my family members absolutely have seen craft. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I, I've had six sightings myself, so I wanted to get rid of the natural phenomenon. Yeah. Sure. In fact, one of my sisters didn't, quote, believe in it, used to laugh at it because my older sister was always fascinated in it. And I never knew earlier in my life. The strength of the interest wasn't there until the last 10 years of my life. But it's when they saw craft over their home in Palm Desert when her, her husband, her kids, and this is twice. So you start to hear this and then all of a sudden you say, you know what, there's no way something can be a mile long standing there in the sky by anything we understand. The thing is that there's a lot we don't know about our own, uh, you know, black ops military. And at least according to the information in the Meyer case, they are going to say that the greater percentage of craft sightings are not extraterrestrial. Some are, but the, the greater percentage aren't, and that it isn't even our own government that's the sole possessor of alternative craft, although we probably have the best, uh, you know, developed alternative craft. And uh, this is why, with, you know, the good work that these former Air Force people did, and, you know, by coming forward and talking about uh, their sightings and all this stuff, uh, I, I, you know, I, I applaud them for doing that and for wanting to, you know, get the cover-up broken up and the mystery dissolved a bit. However, I can tell you personally, because I spoke to two of them, they know nothing about the Meyer case. Um, they are unaware, largely, that what they're seeing, although some of them know it could be, but they're, they're unaware that, at least in this you know, point of view, that most of it is not extraterrestrial. Now, the, uh, you know, I take a kind of strange stance with the whole UFO thing, because I personally don't care that much about UFOs, as fascinating as they are. I mean, I've been into so-called UFOs and spaceships since I was a kid, but it's not that important. The, the real cover-up I maintain is not about Roswell or about sightings by airline pilots. Roswell happened, as did eight or nine other crash and crash retrievals, and some of the things happened before Roswell. That is also information contained in the Meyer case. But the problem is there is absolutely nothing that remains in a tangible way directly connected that will ever be made public or released by any government. While they may divulge files about sightings and things, 
it's a circular dead-end path, really, because there is no there there. There's just, well, there, yes, we saw this phenomenon. Now, people, maybe they need in some ways to be uh, you know, introduced and uh, slowly acclimated to the idea that there are, are other beings in the universe this way. But this has been going on, at least with Roswell, for 63 years. And I heard about Roswell in, in about 19... 19- 57 or so when I was in high school, I knew a kid who cornered me one day and said, you know, my dad's in the Air Force. And he told me there was a crashed flying saucer and they took it to Ohio. I mean, here I was in high school learning about this. And I'll never forget. I know exactly where I was standing in the school. You know, that was pretty hot information at that time. But because people don't realize, especially in the UFO community, especially that the cover up is about the Meyer case. They continue to, you know, uh, splash around and, and throw a lot of uh, water in, in, in the air. And that's fine with the media and with the government. You're, you notice that books about UFOs and uh, TV, you know, press conferences and all this stuff, CNN, they'll talk about that. But my personal experience is when the producers from the Larry King show called me, one producer in particular, and said, Tell everybody to stop emailing and calling us. We're not going to touch this. Even though Larry King's show was using Myers photos and films in their UFO segments, it made it clear to me the higher-ups keep this out of the mainstream as best they can. As far as I know, in my research over the last 25 years, every single major television network and channel has someone who manages the level of information. And there's certain information that can only be addressed in certain ways and not brought up at all. Yes, I think you're quite right. Like it's okay to be laughing about UFOs or extraterrestrial beings. You can do it in a joke. You can play. You can poke fun. You can put people down. You can dismiss it. You can distance people from it. You can make people who talk about it sound crazy. And that's okay. That's right. And, uh, you know, I, I put out a press release a couple weeks ago about, you know, mainstream media suppression of the Meyer case and that we, you know, we're going to get around it. We, we do through these radio shows, through sticking out press releases and people, you know, coming and checking out the information going, well, I've never heard of this. And I said, well, it makes my point, doesn't it? You know, there've been 21 attempts on Meyer's life in something like 40 years. So it tells you that this man is not simply some kind of a hoaxer who's, uh, you know, kind of just some kooky farmer. Yeah, but like, for example, about 21 attempts on his life in 40 years, that's not a lot, actually. (laughs) It is, but it isn't. You know what I'm saying? First of all, these assassination attempts can also be coming from people that are absolutely snapped at hearing the information. I mean, there is this phenomenon when it comes to anything extraterrestrial discussion-wise that certain people get irrational about it. They have a belief system. They cannot engage with it, and some people snap about it. They have cognitive dissonance, and some people may find that what he's saying or what he's sharing is a threat. So I'm not saying there aren't legitimate threats on his life and assassination attempts, but let's talk about what else he's saying that may be engaging people to want to do that. Well, you you know, that's the natural segue because uh, I'm not saying that all the attempts have been uh, done by, um, you know, intelligence, secret service people, though a number of them they know have. Uh, the CIA 
and Swiss military uh, shared a, a base right literally up the road from Meyer's home. That base is still there. It's a military. But don't they come to him also for guidance and counsel? Yeah, well, now uh, that the years have passed and, uh, you know, some of the things changed were, uh, listen, there are people, first of all, yes, in answer to that. And, and another thing is that there are skeptics and there are, you know, religious people who, just as per what you were talking about, can't take the information and will talk about why. But one one skeptic, I guess it's about nine or ten years ago now, um, he and his wife, had, who lived in the area, had considered that Meyer must be in league with the devil and crazy and all the rest. And this particular man went outside one day. He, for some reason, he had his camera to photograph some things. And Meyer gets a letter a few days you know, later, maybe it's a week or two, whatever. And the letter says, you know, dear Herr Meyer, uh, I am so-and-so. Please don't mention my name to anybody if my wife finds out that I'm writing to you. I'm going to have a lot of trouble at home, and we have considered you to be, you know, a crazy person, et cetera. But please, in close, please find the photographs that I have taken of the UFOs that are visiting you, and may I come and visit you, too? <laughs> and so he became a friend of his, you know, and Meyer, Meyer's very open. He will speak to, you know, at least up until some years ago. Now he just doesn't have time for it at all, and he's older, and he's still got a lot of work to do. But he would let people come, and he would talk to them and answer questions. And you know, but the reason that you're talking about what you're alluding to here, you know, why this might be so upsetting is that basically information in this case would threaten to overturn the foundation of all the world's religions <laughs> as, as step one. You know, and that's not something that billions of people are just quite ready for yet. Maybe what it is also, Michael, is that there are people who could receive the information that there's extraterrestrial life civilizations going on as long as you don't take away their relationship with God. And so some people don't know how to love God or love a supreme creator, an intelligent creator, right, and accept this information. And then there are people that accept this information, and for some reason they also accept that there is a supreme intelligence running everything and that's kind of where i'm at i believe in god i come from a spiritual tradition not a religious tradition i'm aware of the religious traditions of the world pretty deeply i'm an anthropology background major but hearing this information doesn't threaten my relationship to god or to a creator right well this is where some of the most absolutely important and you know volatile controversial information in the case is to be found, and it's part of the core of this. And I'll try to explain it as best I can. Um, but I'll, I don't want to sugarcoat it, and I don't want to you know, drag it out in this area, so I'll get to kind of the chase. When Meyer asked them, these people, about, well, do you have God in your world and all like we do? And they said, well, we don't use that term because we know what it means. And he says, well, what is that supposed to mean? And they said, in every case, when you're talking about you know a deity, short of the m- most primitive of religions where they're na- simply nature worshipers or you know something like that where you have some form of deity that's recognized uh you're talking about extraterrestrials who were here thousands of years ago representing themselves as the creator of this universe of all life etc cetera, etc cetera, and who set in motion the current religions that you have on your world and that this is one of the most uh, problematic things that have, has to be dealt with because they so misled human beings who then scooped it all up and embraced it and uh, formalized and turned things into religions and uh, excised the 
where the truthful teaching was brought by extraterrestrials or, and or was delivered to prophets in the past who were to disseminate it among the earth people, those, that teaching, that information was always co-opted and corrupted and put under the control of a religion, a church, a belief system, a cult, or what have you. And so he said, well, then you mean there is no God? And they said, again, the extraterrestrial beings, those were the lords, that was I am your God and all that. However, they said, this universe itself, they call it the creation, is the conscious intelligence and embodiment of its own conscious intelligence. It is the, if you will, the creator or sustainer of all that exists within this universe, since there are countless billions, if you want to throw another stone on the water here, have intersecting ripples. Before we intersect those ripples, I'll let you finish, but I want to go back to something you just said. Okay, do you want, do you want to tell me what that is? Or should yeah, I? I just want to say to you that what's interesting to me is that I was not born in a religious family. My family came from the Jewish tradition. We celebrated all the Jewish holidays. And I've sat with Thich Nhat Hanh. I've sat with Buddhists. I've sat with Hindus. I've sat with masters from China, from every area of the world. The interesting thing is about two years ago, I met someone who did something called super prayers. And I was like, what's that? And I had a dear friend of mine who had a torn rotator cuff in three places and was due for surgery within a few weeks. And I brought her to this person. And I said, you have nothing to lose. I mean, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I don't understand anything about it. I've never heard anything like this. And anything I've read has been religious oriented. So it's turned me off and I never believed in it. But try it. Who cares? You have nothing to lose except going in for surgery. She went in, spent the evening in this church, and this woman did this prayer. And within a minute, she could move her arm. She had full range of motion. She wasn't a believer. She wasn't a religious person, right. but she had a mustard seed of faith. So I guess what I want to say to you in context is there are wonderful things about Bible 1 and Bible 2 in context. There are wonderful seeds in there of things that work. We may not know how they work. They're mysterious having to do with the sacred, also true in Buddhism, also true in other religious denominations. But I will tell you, I was stunned that it worked. So I'm a big believer in prayer, and I believe in miracles because I've been witness to something that defied all of science. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. Well, let me, uh, let me address that uh, and tell you that there's similarities uh, between your background and mine. I was not raised religiously. Both sides of my family, my mother and my uh, father and his family. My mother was an orphan, but they they both escaped uh, from the Nazis in Europe. My mother had also escaped the communists as a little girl, you know. And there was a Jewish background uh, in my father's family and some in my mother's family. But I was not raised with any religion. And when I, about 10 years of old, I said uh, to my mother, I want to know the truth about God and Jesus. And she said, well, I, I think God is love as far as I'm concerned, and the rest you'll have to find out for yourself. So I didn't come from a, any particular uh, slant. I uh, I just simply wanted to know what was true. Now, let's address what you were just talking about. This is part of what's in the Meyer case to a large degree. And Meyer had said something some years back, uh, published in, in a document. I'm trying to remember which one, but it doesn't matter. 
and it was when the people of the earth know the secret sciences, when they are available to the people of this world, all religions would, will crumble instantly. And what that means is that within the true spiritual teaching, including the teaching that was originally brought by Enoch, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and right. all that, there was the knowledge of how the power of thought and and the mind worked, how consciousness affects and creates things, the laws of cause and effect. So let's jump just a little bit, uh, because your story about somebody having that type of healing, and I'm very familiar, I've, I've been involved in the healing arts for 35 years. I'm not unfamiliar with all sorts of different things, uh, but let's just offer a possibility here. And the possibility is that if it's true that the power of thought and even the power of you know collective directed thought yep. can can doesn't always produce a a startling or stunning result that would mean that human beings are far more powerful than any religion wants them to believe that they are so let's take it one more radical step if we think that the prayers are going to some deity that's picking and choosing which prayers will be answered, because goodness knows the people in Iraq and Afghanistan and Rwanda, and you start naming it, including here in this country, that have, over time, billions and billions of people who've been cranking out prayers to, you know, with, with what, the, the waiter in the sky, how many trillions of prayers have not been answered would weigh on the other side that, meaning that, there there might not be somebody up there answering prayers. Well, how then can so-called miracles happen? Well, there are the only, you know, the real miracles that anything at all exists, that life is, that we are effectively traveling around through space in a piece of cosmic lint compared to everything. And everything down here in its micro and macro levels, as well as everywhere else in this universe, is functioning according to very specific laws. Things uh, have duration, they're held in place. So if we come back to this idea of the creation, that this universe somehow brought itself into being, and we, we really don't like that, you know, there's got to be a creator who's been sitting around forever with nothing to do except go let there be light and throw the switch. Um, somehow, if reality is bigger and relatively, you know, outside of the uh, ability for the human mind to grasp or solve comfortably. But at the same time, if these laws, the law uh, that, you know, goes from subatomic to the grossest of all matter that keeps that wooden table being wood until it's, you know, d disintegrating according to its duration and the steel uh, in your car has, an, uh, you know, another, but it's all the same essence, its energy densified into matter according to very specific and varying frequencies, if you will, vibration. Right. You're talking the quantum realm now, correct? I, I don't know. I may well be. So I'm just saying, if, if we start to look at the miracle of life, blades of grass and leaves and trees and bugs and everything else, and the sub and the microscopic and submicroscopic, we, we would recognize something creates and holds it all together. Great. Does it mean, then, that it's the beings that we've been introduced to in our holy books? And I would, I, I'm unabashedly saying, obviously not. And, oh my goodness, why would I say obviously not? 
Well, when I started to get into the Meyer material and the stuff that's so sensitive about religions and beliefs and, and all this, I had no beliefs, but there was some stuff in there that was pretty charged for me. Well, how could this be true? And this sounds like, well, could this be anti-Semitic or could this be anti-Christian or anti-this? So I went and I cracked open the Old Testament. And after leafing through here and there and realizing that the loving, you know, the God of love and mercy had commanded untold thousands of numbers of deaths and uh, at his own hand, uh, affected a few, uh, you know, departures from this world himself in some brutal ways. It, it it became clear to me that there was a disconnect, a dissonance. That whoever, or whatever, had said, "Thou shalt not kill," meaning that you shall not, that thou shalt not murder. That is, you shall not kill innocent beings. Could not be the same being that was saying to uh, Moses or Joshua or Daniel, or whatever, go forth and slay them all, the man, woman, children, and the babes in their mother's arms without mercy. That did not compute for me. That's not the creator of anything except, in my opinion, sheer terror. And that doesn't, you know, obviously sit well with people that have embraced a belief system or religion, but I try to help people out, you know, and I'm not trying to be condescending. I mean, when I get into my debates about it, I say, look, every religion is resting on one inadmissible, illogical, and childish premise that you could not bring into a, a kindergarten room or a court of law. And that premise is, what's in this book is true because this book says it's true. That is the foundation of every religious belief that has a foundation to it. This is true because it says it's true. We have been inculcated cellularly for thousands of years to accept that idea as a premise, so therefore we get all nervous about beliefs. I, I just was doing my own little show yesterday and talking about why are people so sensitive about religious beliefs? and po You know, politics and religion, I was brought, well, we don't talk about politics and religion, many people would say, and I was always wondering, well, why? Do people really get upset if you talk about gravity? Well, no, no, we don't get upset about gravity. Well, why then? questioning the stuff that often gets pounded into young heads when there's just mush brains, so they grow up with a belief system that, as a rational adult, they might be questioning a lot more than they're allowed to as a kid. So I'm, you know, if I, if I think about it, in some ways I'm kind of merciless about that because I only want the truth. I don't care if anybody says to me, well, you believe in the Billy Meyer case, don't you? I say, no, I don't. Well, what are you talking about? I said, I happen to know from my own research over 30 years but it's true. It's, 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 it's actual. The man is telling the truth. He's been photographing things, you know, there's scientific evidence, but I can't prove everything that relates to the far distant past or the as yet unarrived future. I have a page on my website with probably over 100 specific scientific things that Meyer verifiably published before the events occurred or the discoveries were made. So, I know, and I know from my own personal experience with him trying to trick him four times in a three-year period on one little question, that the man doesn't lie about it. There's just nothing in it for him. Now, is he accurate about everything? Well, so far, they're batting pr you know, pretty up right around 99.99. I would say he's not accurate about global warming at all. Well, I think you're I spent good. 300 hours on this. I would absolutely be willing to go to Switzerland, sit with you, and sit with him, and give him my research material. Well, just to jump into it, I'll say this. Global warming is a natural occurrence. I understand. But 
the what their position is, and re- let's remember that Meyer started to publish this in '51 before anybody was thinking about it, that it would be exacerbated to a three-to-one level by human activity, and. There are certain, I think, you know, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you have, you know, a strong and firm position about it and that you substantiate your position. No, actually, I was a believer, like a religious person. I believed in global warming. I believed in what the, quote, experts were saying. Fascinating things about belief, from my experience, is that a lot of times you don't know you have it until you're having to question something. Then you find out what you believe. You don't always know what you believe. I'm for sustainability. I'm for clean water. I'm for getting the pollutants out of everything. I'm for pure seeds that aren't altered by Monsanto. No genetically modified seeds. I'm for no spraying of the air. Clean air not impacting and blowing holes in our ionosphere. Always been an environmental activist, advocate, etc. It goes on and on. But When I did my 300-hour investigation, I was absolutely appalled. I agree with you that global warming is something that happens. It's a natural occurrence. Climate change is a natural occurrence. My issue is what it's been turned into, the politics that have gotten in it, how information has been not part of the equation. And I'm no longer, quote, a believer like a religious person. And I'm not a skeptic. I am clearly looking at the whole system's context of information that has been denied not even allowed as part of the scenario when it comes to science. The obstruction of science I've witnessed, the politics of this, and the players of the earth getting together, creating a carbon trade system worth billions and trillions of dollars with GE, with one of the big players in Enron, Al Gore, the chief architect of J.P. Morgan Chase derivatives market, The toxic derivative market is part of the creation of the cap-and-trade system. This is really beyond repair. I I don't argue with you about all that stuff, but that's not global warming. That's, as you said, that's the politics of it. Yeah, but that's just one part of it. The other part of it is the science of it. You cannot disconnect the science from the structure and the business that's going on which is obstructing the ability for scientific information to be part of the process. The sun is not allowed in the quotient of looking at climate change at all. Okay. I, I, not I, at all. I have no argument with you on how the corporate level uh, has manipulated things. I would say this, that when we go back, you know, I'm going to look at it from this perspective, not from a belief system. Oh, and one, one other thing I just want to say no. before you respond to that. This is one other question that I want to get back with this, if you can stand by. No problem. Which is that a lot of the things Billy Meyer says are probably correct. But I, as a human being, no matter how much I read, no matter how much I meet him, no matter how accountable and passionate and committed you are and how much you know, I will never give one person who's prophesizing the power of God on earth to dictate or to disseminate what's going to be. Because in the quantum realm, we have a way to prevent and stop everything. I'll never take that away. This is the point. As you know, you saw the film. And when I said at the very end, I asked the question, well, you know, what if you find out it's all a hoax? I want, well, I want to know how he did it. My point is this, that... If we understand the purpose of prophecy, uh, we have prophets on our own world that we listen to all the time, meaning people who take known information, they crunch the numbers, if you will, and they, they make a projection. The prophecies in this case, in, in this matter, what this is intended, is not to dictate. It, it was to warn us. 
to get us away from dead-end directions. Prophecies work this way. If you keep going down this road, you encounter this. If you then don't change your course, the next event or the next bump on this road, this next exponential evidence that you're on the wrong track will look like that. Now, this is all, once we speak about prophecy and prophets and all this stuff, we're in a funny place because it's so charged with belief and religion and authorities and gods and all the things you're touching on. That is not what this is. This is truly the antithesis of it and uh, my own joke about it, just to take it here, because this is very, very important area you're talking about. My joke was that when these ETs are sitting around going, okay, we've got one more shot at this with the Earth people, uh, you know, nobody could read or write before, and every time our forefathers worked with somebody to bring in this information, well, it got corrupted because th th those who could control it controlled it. Now we're in the electronic age coming up here. This will be able to be disseminated, protected, and kept as it should be, blah, blah, blah. Now, how do we get somebody who's not going to be charismatic and have a religion or a cult formed around him and the whole thing going south again and somebody pipes up and says i know by the time the world finds out about this guy he should be a a, a middle-aged pot-bellied gray-bearded one-armed farmer and they say that's good let's have that one because he'll have more trouble trying to get this stuff into the world and that's the way it should be because people are not supposed to believe this they're supposed to if anything take it and go well let's see how do we find out if it's true or not. But I also think, just on a personal note, and then I want to let you go on and talk about what you're talking about, that nobody, no one person, I don't care who's contacting them, okay? Lord of Lords, ETs of ETs, whatever is contacting a human being, they should not be given the power of God on earth. We still, as human beings, have to listen to our own intuition, our own guidance, our own inner voice, that inner sense and to trust ourselves, not always to turn to other people and their prophecies as what's coming. There's at least 20 prophecies that are going on at the same time. There's the Hopis, the Incas, the Aztecs. It goes on and on. Well, let, let's let, let's settle into this. The core of the case, when people say to me, and I had <laughs> I did an interview with a guy on CBS Radio Network the other night, and the guy said, well, if you were to say what this was all about, what's the very core of it? I said, the core of it is a teaching that each human being is 100% responsible for their thoughts, their feelings, their actions. They are completely responsible for the lives that they create, that there's nobody uh, sitting above them waiting to you know, dip them in hot lava if they make a mistake you know, after they die. And all. This is exactly what you're talking about. And it's, it's a, a bit of an irony or a paradox, whatever you want to call it, because, you see, it isn't about that, well, one man gets to play God. Well, let me tell you, to, to be told... Uh, years before it happens, well, your arm's going to be ripped off your body. There's nothing we can do about it. Get used to it because your tasks will increase a lot after that. You're somebody who's a conduit. You can back out of this if you want. But look, if it's true, if it's true that there are extraterrestrials and that in this particular case that they are indeed have information, they're transmitting it through a person, they could have avoided nearly 70 years of this kind of oblique and seemingly abstract, obscure approach that some people think it is, and simply showed up over the capitals of the world for five or ten minutes and hung out banners or whatever and proved their existence, and then you'd really have trouble because you'd have new gods. And not only that, you'd have people going crazy. You'd have psychosis and suicide. You'd have attacks. The military would go nuts. The world would be destabilized. So if there is an agenda here, and there is one, it is to insert into our world in a, in a 
pretty much incorruptible forms through rapid dissemination, information that we can take or leave, we can study, and we can understand that in the level of prophecy, this for thousands of years has been intended to try to give people a sense, an education as to how life works, how the laws of cause and effect trump all beliefs. There is no chosen people. There is no solitary prophet or only begotten son or any of the rest of this from religions. There is you, uh, there is me, you know, over here, and uh, the rest of the eight billion of us, each of us responsible completely for our own lives, how we perceive, what we do with any information. We, speaking as someone involved in this material, don't want believers don't want people joining up to go and march around and knock on people's doors or do anything like that. Well, you've got to believe what Billy Myers says. No, somebody has come to try to wake us up. When Paul Revere, uh, allegorically, or real, you know, really got on his horse, he was trying to wake people up. And when you know that the permafrost around this world is melting. I'm going to just stop you for a minute, and I want to let you complete. I want you to start looking at scientific information instead of agreeing with what everybody is saying and going with the flow. Look at the facts of what's happening. Even the snapshots of the poles, the Antarctica, polar bears, populations dying off. A lot of this is not true. The sea levels rising, not true. And I want you, instead of going on about that, do the research and then come back to me. But I want you to have the facts in front of you. CO2 is not toxic. So let's go back to where you're competent. And where you're competent to me is to talk about Billy Myers' experiences, what he went through, and what's happening today. Okay, well, I'll just you know challenge you a little bit, and I'll tell you this. That in 2008, in August and September of 2008, you know that within a couple weeks period, water was discovered on Mars. They discovered that there were small, very tiny are you talking about NASA's assessments that water was discovered on Mars? They've known this for 40 years. They, they have known it uh, theoretically from a distance, but they did not have a probe there. They speculated. They discovered the water. They discovered microscopic life forms. And they also discovered that the planet is basically that the environment is hostile to life. There's, some, there's microscopic life forms, but there's, it's a hostile environment. They discovered per, uh, perchlorate in the soils up there. That was all discovered by NASA in 2008, August and September. However, in July, on July 8, 1976, that information was given to Meyer and published in a book. Meyer was told in, um, well, observed on October 18th or 19th, 1978, that Io was the most volcanically active body in the solar system. He described the content of the ejecta from the volcanoes as being dust particles and sulfur ions, and that one of the main rings of Jupiter was composed of sulfur ions that were uh, in the dust that was escaping from Io, that which was not falling back onto the surface, and he described the surface of Io as this most active, volcanically active body in the solar system as being uncharacteristically smooth, not cratered and pocked as one would expect with all the volcanic activity. And it was explained to him it was because so much of this ejecta was falling back onto the surface of this moon. 
March 12, 1979, NASA JPL announced that the most important discovery of the Voyager mission was that Io was the most volcanically active body in the solar system. Um, in April, following that, the discovery was made about one of the rings being composed of ionized sulfur particles. Meyer, of course, had also described the rings of Jupiter before. While they had been theorized, they had not yet been observed. He described that. He described um, the uh, another moon, uh, Europa, as being ice-encrusted, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He also described the accurate number of moons of Jupiter, the same for Saturn, also uh, ex was explained in the 1970s why the scientists would miscalculate the number of moons of Saturn because they would uh, erroneously identify some of the Adonis asteroids as being moons when they technically were not. In 1958 and in 1978, Meyer published that the discovery of two planets beyond Pluto would be made around the time of the new millennium. It goes on and on and on in terms of Meyer's scientific information. It's not a question, is he right a lot? It's a question of, do you expect the public to believe everything he says or to accept everything he says and operate from it? You say people don't have to believe. You're doing this to assist and facilitate people's acceptance of Billy Meyer's prophecies. No. Even, well, why are you doing it? For people to do what I have done, except they can have the benefit of 31 years of my own and other people's research and don't have to spend that time, they can check, test, review, investigate, evaluate, cross-reference information to find out if this information is accurate. I never tell anybody to believe it. And it we're not talking about belief now, but the whole point of all of this is to get people to eventually receive this information and to be warned, which means to accept his prophecies. That's being warned, isn't it? No, not to accept the prophecy. Again, this, is, this isn't semantic with me. I mean, just so you know, I'm not trying to argue. No, 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 I know, but let I'm me, asking you. Let me tell you exactly what it's for. for in, uh, and I'll just use a, qu a quick example. There is information on the website about what Meyer was told about the true scope of the BP Gulf disaster and what will come of it, what is coming. Okay. Uh, well, let me let me back up and give you another one. And I'm That's really, a good one. If you plant it, why don't you go ahead, unless you want to start somewhere else. Well, I, I do, because this one will be even easier for people, because right. it's... Uh, in 1986, I had the first a friend of mine who was at that time lecturing on the case, had the copy of what's called the... Um, the prophecies, uh, Talmud Emanuel and prophecies or something. Meyer had uh, put out this information, a lot of it from 1981 uh, up until about, I think, 83, whatever. It was compiled, and I was reading it in 1986, and there were things in there that were, you know, I was laughing about, such as that the United States of America would have two civil wars, blah, blah, which haven't, hasn't happened. But uh, I'm now at this point not laughing about it anymore. However, there was something in there that caught my eye, especially, and it said uh, that the uh, revolutionaries in Paris will ultimately burn down the city and that there will be uh, you know, arson and looting and all this stuff will happen. This is 1986. This is, doesn't seem very likely. Then in 1987, Meyer again published even more information, which is on the website, and it said that... France will fall first from within and then to a collaboration of 
internal and external forces. This force from within will be a religious force, specifically Islam. And I thought, wow, this is picking up on what he wrote in 81, and now he's spelling out who it is. But what is this Islam thing? You know, <laughs> I mean, I really didn't get it. And uh, I put that on my DVD, it's called The Meyer Contacts, and I put that out in um, 2004. In October, November of 2005, the first Paris riots took place that you may recall. Thousands of cars were uh, torched, uh, whole neighborhoods were, you know, kind of uh, trashed, people were killed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then, just within about the last two weeks, a report on the mainstream news showed that certain I guess we'd have to say somewhat radical uh, Muslims had taken over, literally taken over whole sections of Paris with public prayers in the streets, which uh, it's not, I don't care who it is and do it, what they're doing. It happens to be specifically against the law in France for any religious demonstration like that. They had hired their own security force and the police were not allowed in. Nobody was allowed in. And and there were people who were surreptitiously filming this. So I put this up on the website saying, we are now watching the fulfillment of a prophecy that I first you know, read about 24 years ago. Um, it is underway, and the people, the French... Uh, about whom this was this warning, you know, f for them initially, this is going to happen in your world here, folks. Um, they are seemingly powerless to do anything about it. And more, I mean, if you want to know specifically more, starting back in, the, uh, you know, in that uh, 81 thing they were talking about, Europe is going to be overrun. And Meyer spelled it out in the 87 thing. It will be overrun by the warriors and fanatics of Islam. Now, that, I'm not cheerleading for anything here, and I'm not telling people to believe anything. I really am not. I'm asking them to do very much what I did, because I, as I say, I've tried to trick this man personally four times to see, well, is he, is he making stuff up? Is it, you know, how, do I, how can I ascertain his own truthfulness? When you have a weather report that says the weather at the end of this week is going to be unseasonably hot or unseasonably cold, rainy, snowy, whatever else. If you have trusted, if you have reason to accept that there's a foundation of credibility for the a meteorologist, you'll either bring the extra overcoat or carry the umbrella or whatnot. You will be informed by something that has shown itself to be credible. That's the purpose of the prophecies, not to get people into doom and gloom, paralyzed with fear, waiting for the next thing to happen or not, or saying, well, tell us something we don't know. I want to cut in here for a minute. Yeah, that please. is what prophecies do as a functionality. What does belief mean? You First, you have to accept something to believe it. So belief starts with acceptance. What you're translating is that these things are going to happen. He has been right about all of these things. What I'm saying to you is everything may be or many things may be correct and accurate that he's translating and bringing to us as prophecy to warn us. At the same time, I'm still advocating for people to go into the still small voice and be listening to their inner guidance yes. of what they're supposed to do and not to turn their power over to any particular person. You and I are on the same exact page with that. And what we're talking about is maybe getting to a, 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 a same spot from seemingly different approaches. Sure. Here's the point of it. And this has been the point since this guy has been publishing stuff since the 50s. It should have never been necessary. They themselves said, for instance, 
Meyer, uh, I'm referring back because this is what I, you know, I talk about. So I'm, but I do want you to go back to the BP Gulf disaster. I'm going to. Because I'm many going. of us are still well, reeling. You know what? Let me tell you. I'll take it right back with what I was going to say. I'll take it back to that. When I was in Switzerland in May, I said to Billy, because people had written me about a particular thing that he had been told was going to happen, a prediction. That means something that will happen as opposed to a prophecy. By the way, you're right. You see, if these warning posts, if these events keep popping up, then we should say, hey, forewarned is forearmed. What do we do to not let these things come forward? How do we avoid these things, not sit like deer in the headlight watching one negative thing come down on us after another? Absolutely. It's that's the point, to get people to wake up and to be listening inside and to talking to each other from a place of reality. Now, the Gulf thing and all. So I'm I'm with him in Switzerland, and I've received inquiries from a number of people about one particular prediction. And they claim there's a real difference. That means an event that will occur, usually some very natural one, very often uh, something passing by from outer space, or an, an Earth action that is unavoidable and doesn't really have to do with human beings one way or the other. Okay, so I said to him, Billy, I was asked if you would please tell us when the 9.0 earthquake is going to hit off the coast of Oregon. And Billy says, well, Michael, you know I'm not allowed. I said, thank you. You do not need to, you know, complete the sentence. I know that. So you're not allowed to tell about an event that will occur for certainty for various reasons. That's fine with me. But what about this thing in the Gulf? And this was a strange moment for me because Billy, there was something that was almost uncharacteristic. He just kind of turned his head slightly and looked wistful and kind of looked down a little. And he says, you know, from here on, it's going to be one thing after another, bigger, harder things happen. And the play are, and they know already that people don't learn from the prophecies and the predictions. So from here on, it's better if you just tell people encourage them to focus on creating love and harmony and peace and, and, you know, and freedom in their lives. I said, I understand what you're saying. And this sounds very simplistic in the context of, oh my goodness, we're talking about somebody who's delivering these earth-shaking prophecies and, and, you know, by golly, if you do look at this record, it's disturbingly accurate. Why is it suddenly you're talking about this touchy-feely love, peace, free? No, because the essence of all of this comes back to the very thing you said and the very thing I answered to the fellow on. We are responsible. Inside ourselves is where everything starts. When we have a thought, it will give rise to a feeling. Feelings don't arise out of nowhere. They come from thoughts. Unless, of course, we're talking about purely physiological, you burn your finger. And it is the actions that we feel impelled to take. Most of this happens unconsciously for most people most of the time. We're not doing what they're saying. What is the teaching? Monitor your thoughts 24 hours a day. Notice what it is that you're thinking and what feeling is coming and what you think you're going to do next. Is that what you're, is that the best thing? This isn't positive thinking. This is called neutral positive thinking. It means you have to know what is. Every moment of your life, you must become aware objectively, neutrally, of what is. And that means first starting with what is going on inside that head and heart of yours. What's going on is I want to go back to BP Gulf disaster and have you give the detail of what Billy said. I know you talked about, he said it's 
the Pleiarians say that it's going to be one thing after another. So focus on love, harmony, peace, and freedom. But what else did he say? Right. So what they had told him right around that time, and that I didn't know because I had not yet you know, come back and the translation hadn't been made available, was that in an 88-day period at the point that he had asked them and they answered, and that was from the time that the, the leak had sprung, the actual gallonage of oil that had gone into the Gulf was 304 million gallons of oil, as opposed to the final figure, final, later figure, that BP came up with 200 and something million gallons. Horrendous enough. Now, what they had told him was, the problem here, and at the point they had spoken to him, they had not yet capped the well. They said, what looks to be very, very probable here is that this oil this sheer volume is going to enter the Gulf Stream. It will get into the Atlantic. The particulate and the, and the, uh, and the gases from this petroleum are enormously toxic, and they are, there's a number of components you're dealing with here. The particulate and the gases that will evaporate into the air along no, with... Wait a minute. This is what he said, or this is what you're saying? This is what they told him. Got it. Okay. That... You know, in addition, we know to the, you know, the core exit stuff that they're using, that the toxicity level of this is so gross for all life forms, meaning from the microscope. This is also what was printed in the news. This was in thousands and thousands of blogs and radio. How do we believe this part of no, what no, you're don't, talking don't about? Be, I'm just going to tell you what they said, that the problem will be, and this, they were telling him this, I think, in May, early, uh, late May and early June, this stuff will come down in rain. It's going to affect and be toxic, uh, in some cases fatally toxic, to not only sea life forms, but plant and human life forms. That the oil that people think has disappeared instead has been settling on the bottom of the ocean. This is going to create more problems. That this whole thing in the chain of cause and effect is going to, and then this is where you, you won't want me to get into it, but they said this is going to exacerbate climatic uh, climactic damage to such a high degree. Why would that, I care about that? I just have an issue with lies and deception to the public. Right, right. So, no, what they're saying is we are going to see, and probably in our lifetimes, the weather conditions on Earth be akin to what we would call primeval. The storms of all forms. I believe that. I accept that. You know, when he was writing in the uh, back in the 50s and all, and, and in the 70s when they told him specifically, you must not extract this petroleum and gas from your planet and mine these ores because you're setting up mega quakes, sea quakes, tsunamis, and the earth will collapse from within. We have a phenomenon that's recently become more n noticed, which is sinkholes. And one of the people who's, uh, in, I think in England, did a, an article, which I posted on my website, where he correlated. He, he showed, you know, the sinkholes, I think, are as widespread as China, Belize, Guatemala, Florida, Canada. Are you talking about the one that just happened in, was it Guatemala or Mexico? Well, I, I don't know what the latest one would be, but it, they've been occurring all over the place. And he uh, went and did a little research and correlated that in every one of these areas, there had been mining and or oil extraction. And as 1976, I have it in the copyrighted dated books, you know, they're saying that your earth is going to collapse from within. Your megaquakes, you're sucking out this buffering, this synovial fluid of the planet and burning it up. Not only are you going to create 
the air pollution, but you're setting up these quakes and volcanic. Well, it's not humanity that's setting up these things. It's the people in charge of the planet legally and financially that are doing this and getting away with it. And most of the population, I'm speaking for the population now, the ethos, most of the population feels very helpless and powerless to do anything to stop these people. Yes, of course. And And, agencies. Look, we, you know, those of us that think about these things, we actually, we know this, we agree about it. And, and, you know, it's like people can say, well, what's the point? Why do they tell them? Why are they telling this one Swiss guy? You know, I mean, there's all sorts of questions, and I have my own answers for yeah. them. But what I'm trying to do in this whole thing is to say, look, this isn't about trying to prove that there's some cool guy that gets all this great information. Oh, isn't he nifty? You know, if you, <laughs> you know, on some levels, we would all like to have some of the perks of his life, and we would not want to endure some of the downside, and I know this you know, personally a lot. So what's the point of all this? The point is that for better or for worse, calculated or miscalculated, a body of information has been presented to our world, which has indeed slowly and uh, through much struggle and growing pains found its way very slowly, we could say, into uh, you know, uh, some levels of public dissemination. You're helping with that. Other people are helping with that because this is a, as they say, true leadership will not come from the top down. This is going to have to emerge from the bottom up. And what we're, what we're seeing then for those that want to struggle through it so that we own our own experience, our own progress, our own knowledge, our own conviction, and it isn't told to us by somebody that we're supposed to believe or accept but that we vet this stuff, that we go in and, and do the work of saying, well, let's find out. When did this event happen? It, what were the details of it? What's the first known time that this could have occurred? You know, when I gave you all that information on Io and Jupiter and these other things, the skeptics were trying to say, well, he got it from science journals. Well, the lead investigator and his team were in Switzerland at the time this man was, you know, went on this contact and got all this information about Jupiter and Io and all the rest of this stuff. They knew that he was living in a rundown farmhouse 45 kilometers outside of Zurich with no libraries, no newsstands, no, I don't think he even had television at that point. And they were observing and watching this guy. The people, they interviewed the postmaster. What kind of books does, does he get magazine? Well, no, Mr. Meyer gets letters. You know, I mean, so much was done to f- try to find out how could this guy be scooping NASA? How is it that Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Wendell Stevens could say, I had this information in my possession as I was returning to the States on March 9th, 1979, and three days later, NASA made their brand new announcements. I showed this to uh, Major Rudolph Pestalozzi, U.S. Air Force retired, and O. Richard Norton, who was the director of the Flandreau Planetarium prior to these other predictions occurring. We signed off and stuck it in the safe because some of these had not yet happened, and we knew we couldn't publicize these. It was, it was a mistake that Meyer gave us everything instead of just the Jupiter. I mean, this was a, an investigation. This is a human story with, with mistakes and accidents and people giving people grief, but enough of it where you hear it's copyrighted. It's in a book. Okay, take that to the bank. Now what do we do with it? And it's still being vetted. It's still being corroborated where you can say, here's this book, here's this published document. I, I have one on the website that it, it, I flipped out when I saw it. What was it? Okay, I had been floating on the Internet, and I found a, a thing from National Geographic about this Iceman mummy 
think his name was pronounced Utzi or something like that, that they discovered in 1991 in the Austrian Alps. And something triggered, wait a minute, I read something. And I went and I found, here was this information in the Meyer material about this Iceman from 1991. Now, if I can tell you the story, and this is why I go goofy on this. Okay, Meyer has this contact, and they're talking about different things, and, and the guy says, well, by the way, August or September, they're going to discover this frozen Iceman high up in the Austrian Alps, and blah de blah he's about 5,100 years old. Okay, I'm not going to tell you the rest yet. Fast forward, to they discover this, uh, this Iceman mummy. Okay. So then... In 1996, Meyer publishes it where there's a copyrighted version of this, the same information, but they put it in a copyrighted book form, along with a bunch of other stuff. I mean, tons of information. Oh, well, maybe he went and backdated it, right? Here's where the other shoe hits the floor. In 2001, five years after this document is officially copyrighted, published, the, the Italian and Austrians, whatever, they bring the mummy into a hospital in Italy to do a CAT scan. They want to figure out how the guy died. What do they find out? There is a fractured skull and there's an arrowhead in his back. Well, logically, they figure somebody killed the guy. They shot him with an arrow. Case closed. So I go back to that document I had and there is this Question and answer hasn't changed in all the years. So, Billy says, how did this guy die 5,100 years ago? Now we're talking about, you know, snowstorms, blizzards, grizzly bears, drowning, food poisoning, natural causes, dysentery, you know, you name it. So he says, well, he had an epileptic seizure and fell backwards and fell off of this, you know, area and landed on one of his arrows. Five years in print before they bring this guy in. So I'm talking to another f- friend of mine about this, and I said, well, you know, maybe someone did shoot him. Isn't that possible? And the guy says, no, it's impossible. I said, well, wh- how, why do you say it's impossible? He said, I'll tell you why. And maybe you as an anthropologist might appreciate this more than – it took me a little while. He says, you have to understand, primitive people, and even peoples up until, you know, within the past couple centuries, certainly, wherever people are making, hand-making their weapons, this is a rather – time-consuming process. And these things are valuable like gold would be to somebody now. You have a, a knife that you've had to spend a long time you know, carving off of obsidian or whatever, or an arrowhead or a spearhead or an axe. You don't leave that in a body unless you're, you're killed too. Was this, were there a bunch of dead people found in this area? I said, no, just this guy. He says, well, had he been shot by somebody, they would have retrieved the arrowhead. So your friend's explanation here, that he fell back on an arrow. So then I go back online, and National Geographic, I think, had another thing on this, and they showed the artifacts. There was a quiver, and there was a broken arrow. Fascinating. I understand why you go goofy. Why are you the U.S. official media representative? And talk a little bit about how this came to be. Well, you know... uh, I had, as I told you, I first was introduced to this in 79, I tell at least in the film, in 86. I got the first documentation uh, in 88, uh, 87, 88, uh, when I had found some scientific information on A-bomb testing that I had already read that was a new discovery. That got me deeper into information. I met a guy who was representing the case. We made a video on it called The Pleiadian Connection. 
I decided to do my own presentations at that time because as good as this guy was, and he was great, he was adding stuff that wasn't there, and it was just not not accurate. So I, over the years, starting in 87 or 88, I was doing my own presentations, and then around 2000, I joined up a little study group on this material in L.A., and one of the people who was heading up the group said, well, why don't you go to Switzerland and meet Billy and people there? You can become a little more involved if you want. They're kind of nice. So I went over in 2000 for the first time and met Meyer. And at that time, I wasn't trying to get anything so-called official going. Uh, I went back about a you know, I went back each year. So 2001, I was back 2002. Somewhere around there, I asked if I could do, uh, I said, I want to put together a, a video on the scientific information. In this case, I think this is the heart of it. And they said, well, why don't you just wait a little bit? It's not that, not the time right now. I said, well, okay, fine. The next year, they said, well, go for it if you want to. So that's when I put out, a year later, my DVD came out, 2004. And when I was over there, I said, you know, I really want to represent you officially. And by that, I mean this. I want to take your information as you, you know, have it in your approved form and publish it present it you know, in lectures, put it on my website, talk about it in interviews, providing a couple conditions are agreeable to you. And they said, well, what are those conditions? Number one, I can agree, you know, I have the right to disagree. If I don't agree with something, I can express that. And they said, well, of course. Number two, that if I don't know something is true, I'm not going to say that it's true just because, you know, I, I like this case. They said, naturally. I said, number three, you don't pay me and I don't pay you. And they said, well, that's fine. In particular reason, I said, sure, because people are going to accuse me of being in it for a dollar anyhow. And I love doing this and I, I just as soon do it for free. And, you know, of course, if, if people buy my CDs or DVDs or something, I'm not going to turn that down. That'll help me. And they said, well, of course, you know, let's just keep it clean. So we wrote up a contract to that effect. It's just nice and clean. Got it. Although, you know, I think there's a lot of confusion around you having an arrangement with him, not confusion around that, but you are, in fact, having commercial products based on the packaging of this knowledge for the public. There's nothing wrong with that. It still takes work. It takes time. It takes money. It takes energy. It takes focus. It takes you away from other things. There's nothing wrong with having commercial value for what you've brought together of his material. I don't see right. a problem well, you with know, that. I agree with you, but here's the thing. First of all, it wasn't even until about, well, I started to represent their first book uh, that was not published by them, but the English language uh, version of a book. I represented that, I think, starting in 2001. But the point was that I was going to put up any and everything for free that because basically they put their stuff out for free. Now they have books too that you can buy. You know, Meyer has written 46 books and there are things that people have sat there to compile and they have to pay their publishing. They're, they are a true Swiss nonprofit. I mean, what they what goes in goes out and they keep it clean and I see their books every year. I go to the meeting and they actually put them up on a big screen for everybody to examine. Do you read their books? Yeah, you know, because they do a, an accounting. They show all the money that came in and to everything it was allocated for. And the And this is very above board. The Swiss are, as you may imagine, rather fastidious with their laws pertaining to anything financial. And, and nonprofit groups don't just fly by there, from what I understand. They're, you know, under scrutiny. Plus, Meyer being under a certain watchful eye, there are those that would love to trip them up for anything. So they are very careful. They operate as a true nonprofit. They do charity, They, you know, all that stuff. But the point being about the selling of stuff, as you correctly said, anything that we do sell has been put together and paid for either by me or somebody else. And it's voluntary. Nobody has to buy it. And, uh, you know, for instance, I 
there are books that are out of print now that are collector's items that we managed to put into ebook form at a, at a fraction of the cost of what the remaining hard copies are. It actually, it sells for the same price as the original book, whatever. And I even have a thing on my website, name your own price. You know, it sounds a little funny, but I know people can't afford everything. And if we can afford to sell at somebody's preferred price, we do it because we want people, if they want that additional stuff, fine, we'll help you out. I can tell, you know, I can tell you I'm over retirement age here. And in this economy, there is not a lot to do. And I spend six to 10 hours a day gladly doing this because it's my passion and because I feel it's important that people have the opportunity that I'll make noise and I'll irritate people to get them to look. And past that point, it's just exactly what you and I were saying about this is whatever you do with anything in your life, that's your responsibility. And there's nothing to believe. If you get to a point where you accept the possibility that, well, they might be right about that other thing because they've been so right before, well, that's fine. But that it's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what, how does this and the spiritual teaching contained within this case, how does it help you in your own personal life? And how does that work interlinking with other people who are, whatever their belief systems or anything else, on a positively intended course to help create a better, saner, safer, cleaner, healthier world. All right, stand by now. Talk a little bit about, if you would, the distinction that Billy makes between the Pleiades and the Pleiaren. Sure. Pleiadian is a term that Meyer was given early in, in 1975. They said to him, you're going to refer to us as Pleiadians. And he says, well, why would I do that when you're really Pleiaren people? What's Pleiadian about? And they said, well, what is going to happen after you start to publish your material, you know, this, from here on, it will slowly gain a recognition in the world. It will come out, you know, you'll have things in different languages, people will translate. And then you will start to find that there will be people that will be making the claim that they are in contact with the Pleiadians, they are channeling the Pleiadians, their boyfriends and girlfriends are Pleiadians, and et cetera, et cetera. Now, you know there is no life in the Pleiades, and even your scientists know that. So these people will be self-identifying as liars. When we are ready to complete our mission here, we will tell you, then please, you just published that this was, you know, the screen name, and we set up this mechanism to, you know, put that out. Now, again, we're talking about a guy that people say, well, what do you mean? Nobody's in touch with extraterrestrials, whatever they call themselves, blah, 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 blah. But that's simply the information of the case. They, they said, of course, there's no Pleiadians because there's no life in the Pleiades. We don't live in this Pleiades that you see in your night sky. We are living 80 light years beyond that in the direction of it. But that's a whole other story. And we are Pleiaren people. And that is what it is. But you will find then that there will be a proliferation of information. If we said that we are the Pleiaren and you published that at this time, then you'd have all these people claiming that they were you know, in touch with the Pleiaren. This will be a subtle distinction for those that want to make it. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. They're not stupid. Now, the thing is, they're not all knowing either. And, I'm, you know, at some point I could regale you with some things about why the, their approach to the Carter administration in 1979 resulted in, a, in the Carter administration declining contact with them. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Oh, did I set that up a you little? You certainly did. It sounds like you're hosting this show, but go for it. <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm on your wild ride, but what the heck? Let's do yeah. it. 
Well, let's, let's do it. You're, you're pretty savvy. Let's do well, it. You're, you see, you're a good host, and you're letting it appear <laughs> that I'm running something. That I'm <laughs> I think you are, but you know what? It's a wild ride. Let's do it. Then I do want to talk to you about Wendell Stevens. Uh, okay. Shall, shall I do the contact thing? With, uh, yeah, go ahead. You planted the seed. Go ahead. Okay. So a few years ago, when I was with Billy, I said to him, Billy, you know, I don't think these play hard really understood us for a while. And he, and he gave me one of those puppy dog looks, and he says, they really did not understand us. And he said, what they did not understand is how we lied to each other and ourselves, because lying is an illogical thing to do. Now, I'm, I'm explaining this so you'll understand the rest of this with the Carter administration. He said, they took everything very much at face value, even including when people would say that they were having contacts with some extraterrestrials. They were not allowed to look into people. They can very easily. And it was then necessitated, after things were, were going badly in some areas, that they were allowed to check a little more deeply into things and people. And they said this is, this is beyond our understanding how people are lying to themselves and each other. Now, why is it said that that's illogical? Wait, what is illogical? Lying. Lying is illogical. And the reason, I'll try and condense it this way. When one lies, one does not change the facts. One simply delays and compounds the negative consequence of denying the truth. If you are, I could use the analogy and say, well, if you're a space-traveling race and someone says, oh, I know how to get us to Alpha Centauri, and they're lying, well, goodbye. You're never going to see those people again. But if you've got a guy who... Uh, you know, uh, gets a, you know, marches to the cockpit in a 747 and says, I know how to fly this. I'm the captain. I'm taking you so and so. And if he's lying, you've lost a lot of people. So the idea is that telling the truth is a selfish, a positively selfish act that. Selfish or selfless? No, both. Selfish in the sense that you do not put yourself through unnecessary pain and grief or in others. By lying. See, if I lie, if I'm fabricating stories, I'm ultimately, because of the laws of cause and effect, it's, the pendulum is still going to come back. It's just going to come back with a lot more baggage on it, and I'm going to have to deal with it sooner or later. I'm going to have to keep tap dancing and lying and compounding, and my compounding of lies is going to only produce more grief for others as well, such as happens to look back on certain administrations and wars. And Let's things. talk about the Carter administration. Let's, so I'm going to reel you back. Yes. So what happened was, in 1979, uh, through some discussion with the original investigators talking to Billy and Billy talking to Play Aaron, they said, okay, we will make an overture to the Carter administration. And they uh, basically gave Billy information that he put into a letter form that was translated into English a little awkwardly, but it survived in English, was given to the um, investigative team, and they brought it because they had the connections to the Carter administration, which in short order turned it down. And quite frankly, it was 100% understandable why they did. And here's the reason. And that letter is somewhere on my website, and it is findable, and I can always... Why did you want to talk about the Carter administration? Because I wanted to show that we're not dealing with gods and infallible human beings or anything else. Because what they did in their factual, logical, matter-of-fact ways. They said, we will initiate contacts with the American administration under the following conditions. Number one, our ships are not to to be molested or approached or anything like that. Number two, Billy Meyer, the Swiss man, will be our 
go-between and representative between us and the uh, Carter administration uh, to conduct this interaction. Number three, in order for us to have this interaction with you, you will need to inform your populace that your religions are basically uh, full of delusion, lies, and fantasies, <laughs> and uh, that things like the Jim Jones um, Guyana event are directly tied to uh, religious and political uh, manipulations and things like Well, <clears throat> that one hit the round file well, I think it would in most circles, not just in political circles, but oh, I'm I mean, saying, you know, they don't know this guy, Billy Meyer. Well, you know? even that, I think it, it was far more because, look, Jimmy Carter, Baptist president, is not going to come to the American people and say, listen, <clears throat> folks, we're going to be able to uh, have, uh, we're starting some interactions with an extraterrestrial human race. And uh, they wanted me to tell you that all of your religious beliefs are lies, fantasies, and delusions. Now, we're about, uh, you know, can you just see all the, the bullets flying on that one? I have to tell you that when you talk about what you're talking about, the way you're talking about religions, the part that bothers me is not the message, but there's like a laughter at it. You know, there's many wonderful sacred books that are so sacred and so ancient and so wonderful and are so helpful to people. Well, I wasn't laughing there. I was relaying. In the way in which you're relaying it. And I think part of it is you've probably known this information for a long time. No, no, I want to cop to this and say to you that the reason I said it that way is because it is so absurd that that information that may have been for them factually unemotionally stated the religions are false, they have the lies and delusion, that you're not going to see anybody, and certainly not a Baptist, you know, believing Baptist uh, president, come to the American people and toss that one out in any way, shape, or form. This is me, okay? Who knows yeah, yeah. what the audience is going to think, and everybody has their own processes. So I don't think that there is all good extraterrestrial telepathy, extraterrestrial presence, extraterrestrial intent. And therefore, not everything that is being communicated to who we're referring to as Billy Meyer, to me, is all on the up and up. I'm not sure that every single ET that we're describing, that you're describing, has been for the greater good of humanity. I'm not sure about that, including going to the President of the United States to ask for all of these things to be done that you just said, I think that is an ill-intented extraterrestrial, ill-intented, who has no concern for the population to be working through and with Billy Meyer. So that may have been one of the groups that was foul, but that's a foul group that would do that, well, even at an I'll ET level. I'll tell you level. A, a perspective on that is this. Uh, the, you know, having read these transcripts, and I mean thousands of pages over 31 years, one thing that's very detectable and, uh, and even stated is that the people speak from their perspective of what is so and what is not so, as opposed to opinion and belief. And I know that this will sound, sounds a little like, well, nah, but this is the way they ex they express things as they know it to be. It's not even a question, are they wrong? What I'm challenging you about right now is that in this example that you are translating of how they had recommended going to the president and what the deal was in order to get communication and some type of cooperation is absurd. And to have an extraterrestrial race 
just be like downloading that to me absolutely has no concern for humanity. These groups are a disconnect. And I will bet you as good as you and I are both alive and talking right now that the benevolent ET cultures like any other culture, if we're referring to that, would never require that. Never require that all of civilization have a freak out, be introduced that information from a president, well, just like that. Well, let's, let's go over to another department of, of thinking here this way. We, let's find out if we can. Well, no, we can't find that out. But let's just say I'm more interested, just from where I come from, you know, like we're different people, we approach things differently, some things the same. I've been on, by the way, a 25-year mission to assist this planet in this civilization, and I'm not just a radio show host. So who's talking to you, who's having the conversation with you is not a radio show host. I am a global communications steward, and I am here to help humanity at this time in history. That's why I was brought to this earth. That's why I came into my lifetime. Well, I, you know, I don't doubt it for a second, or I don't think we'd be having even this kind of a conversation. And I think, to be perfectly blunt with you, I've been interviewed on, on Coast to Coast like 13 times. Nobody, uh, it, it, with the exception of one time that Art Bell interviewed me like for four hours, nobody's willing really to get into the hard questions. And it's, and it's like preaching to the choir. I mean, I don't mind doing those kinds of shows. That's nice. But let's deal with things that we uh, upset us. I think it's far more valuable. Because... There, there is a perspective I have on this from having looked at it for as long as I've looked at it. Yes. And having gone through my own reaction, as I, if you remember early in the conversation, I thought, oh, is this anti-Semitic material? Is this anti-Christian material? I was, that was the first thing that was coming my way in the 80s when I was reading certain transcripts. And that's what dr- drove me to go and open, you know, our Bibles and to look and to to start to research around, to try to figure out, well, what is, is it, could this be true? Could that? All right, so here's my point. Right now, objectively, truthfully, apart from however we feel about something, we don't know factually, or we're not going to agree that factually, re- religions are good, religions are bad, religions are in between. We could say, okay, we could feel it's this. But when we look historically, if we want to, at what has happened in the name of I, I totally under, I think also by the way Michael the audience understands what has happened in the name and using religion I do right. and I want to grant them that they know too and that we can separate the fact from the fiction I want to input one thing before you finish this yes and that is that it's not just the emotion that's responding to you you know there is intelligence that has an emotive component to it a there's nothing wrong with that and B The reason that I believe we are born as emotional beings is that is part of our spirituality as well. Spirituality is not just dissonance. It's not just detachment. It's connection to. It's stuff that comes from the heart. So I believe that we have this capability to emote as a connection point, to see, in fact, if we are connected to that which we're even referring to or talking about. You and I live at a time right now where we are all aware that there has just been a U.N. appointee to oversee contact with extraterrestrial beings. You're aware of that? I am not only aware of it, I sent them information on it. I don't know that it's going to be relevant at all because there will be no extraterrestrial contact with this world for several hundred years. I think it's very interesting that they did that. And I think it's very interesting that they also talked about how they would 
be able to, quote, handle and control the communication. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, here's the question. That's the be- biggest blind spot in the whole world. Oh, all right. Yes, I know. Isn't it? And here's, here's it's the riotous. This is what I've written to the, I mean, this is what I think, anyhow, about the U.N. and the rest of, all of the UFO investigators and all the U.N. and all the rest of this. If they wanted to just go over to Switzerland and spend a little time, they would have ample evidence of UFO contact, and then they can take it from there. They're not going to, SETI is a complete waste of time. You have groups like ExoPolitics and MUFON and all these people are just joking around with themselves because they refuse. To, to wrestle with the Meyer case. I don't mind if they want to say, hey, I'm going to show you it's a hoax, and here's how. They won't touch it because it bursts their bubble and it takes away their reason for being. And I'm speaking from very personal experience with people in that all those areas, from Seth Shostak to Stephen Bassett. I've been involved in in trying to communicate with these people. And I'm going to, if I can, I want to go back, though, to what we were just on about emotion sure. and stuff. Yes. Okay. Emotion about things is fine. And I, I have a fair amount of emotion. It, can keep, it helps keep me going. It isn't simply logic that drives me to do what I do. But I think it's enormously important when we get to this one area, which is a hot-button area. You notice that I didn't, that if, if, if the, uh, the playaren had said, and by the way, you have to make sure everybody understands that there's gravity and anti-gravity. Well, we wouldn't be very emotional about that. It would be neutral. But the hot button of the religious thing is that hot button. And why? In other words, they're either right or they're wrong, in my opinion. Yes. Either they are right or they're wrong. Well, I don't have to accept it. I want to, I want to research this issue and I want to understand. For instance, one of the uh, tracks that Meyer had written recently that is not yet uh, officially translated into English, is very lengthy about the role of the Catholic Church in the persecution of the so-called witches, how they wiped out the women, how they wiped out the women throughout Europe and all of this uh, brutally with this whole witchcraft thing by setting up this insanity because the women who possessed understanding, knowledge, um, who were strong in their femininity, in their sensuality, their Intuition. Yes, and how but how insidious this really was. When you go deeper into the Meyer case and you realize that when Mohammed came, who you know, gets a bad rap, uh, even though they say, no, he was a true prophet, but as it was rep- t- prophesied about him, his teaching would also be falsified into a false and evil cult that will take and corrupt these things and then give the descendants of the Israelites no peace until the end of time unless they make a true uh, and conciliatory peace with the descendants of the rightful owners of the lands that have been stolen by the Israelites of the you know Canaanite days and times. But this stuff is this is so intricately intricately involved with every aspect of our actual history and the formation of our religion. So when Muhammad uh, got his mission to do, it was basically to stem the power of the Catholic Church, which, according to this information, otherwise would have literally succeeded in enslaving the entire planet. It would have just been planet church, and we would have been baked under that. And when people like these make their uh, seemingly, you know, insanely insensitive, and or you can even say whatever you want to call it, pronouncements and all, because they just really do live in another place, I mean, in every sense, you go, okay, well, 
bucket up here. Let's find out. If they're wrong, let's call it out. And there have been two or three things where Meyer and they were patently wrong and where they, boom, they came right up real fast on it and said, we are wrong about this. We have additional information. It wasn't anything as profound as religions. It was some other kind of a thing where they, they misread something and they said, wait a minute, we've made a mistake because, you know, we're not going to lie about it going back to that. I'm going to just put it out like this. This, in the way in which also, in which you reacted, which I really liked because of the passion you brought to your point of view, this is where, if we dare bust the taboo on examining, well, let's look at religion. Is there truth in religion, in all religion? Of course. There would be no danger if there was not truth. But their position is, while there is truth in almost every religion, the religions themselves are false because they are built on a false premise. They took the true teaching and they corrupted it for the power of a church, of a cult, of a religion, of a sect. And so you have, because people have an equally innate goodness inside of them, when they are offered something that in effect is saying, this is the source of all life and goodness, come and be nourished here and do what this deity says is, is the good thing to do and the right thing to do, which in biblical terms could also be stoning your family to death if they you know, do the wrong thing. People respond and responded from the earliest times out of wanting to do good and to be in alignment with that greater power. So the fear and control was set in motion millennia ago, millennia ago. And this is something that is more tightly holding a tighter grip on people, even who are not religious, but who are even spiritual. People in the New Age who come up with these cockamamie ideas, ascension. What are these? That's reworked Christianity. If you go into the Meyer material, well, yes, Emmanuel was crucified, but he wasn't, resur- it wasn't resurrection. They, he was ministered to and healed over a three-day period by healers from India that were brought in because they knew this had to go down and he had to walk that gig. But I have a big, and I'm rambling a little here to just to dig you in. Religion in this whole thing is very, looked at very, very, very deeply. My issue with the, uh, let's say the Playaren who were at the time involved with Emmanuel, whose name got changed to Jesus was, didn't they know that if they didn't make this guy more visible as a real living guy who survived the crucifixion fiction physically with the help of others, that this was going to go and be turned into a deification of a human being? And the answer is, wherever human beings are involved, things can and will get screwed up. And I think that those ETs at the time who were trying to work that mission screwed it up. That's my personal opinion. And they may disagree with me in Switzerland about that, but so much of the grief of this world, Christianity and Islam and even some of the stuff of Judaism, would never have happened if after that crucifixion, when he was healed and brought back as a physical being and was going to leave there on his way to India with his family, where he ultimately settled in Srinagar, again, this is information from the case, if they had not allowed him to be deified, to, to have been magically raised from the dead, if they'd made sure, if they'd looked forward in time and said, wait a minute, unless this guy is seen having lunch and sitting around with people and still has his wounds and says, well, these guys from India came and here's the back entrance to the tomb, if they had only done that, we would have had 2,000 years of, of less grief. That's my personal feeling about it. 
Interesting. Very interesting. I could be wrong, but I have a right to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so when, when, if these, if these folks are saying, well, your religions are based on fantasy, well, okay, but your forefathers were the ones that set so much of the grief in motion. Didn't they know with Enoch or then Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Emmanuel, Muhammad, didn't they know? Well, yes, they knew, but the probabilities, because you still have free will down here. See, there is an, there is answer to that that is consistent with our free will, with the laws of cause and effect and all of that, but as an emotional human being. And I wrote this to one of my friends in Switzerland two weeks ago. I said, I think this is what blew it. They can travel back and forth in time. They can foresee things to some degree. Well, good night. 2,000 years ago, don't let this guy be turned into, you know, wasp on a stick. I'm sorry, but this is, that wasn't who he was, and it wasn't what happened. Oh, my gosh. All the millions of people who've suffered and died because of this kind of thing. So we're not dealing with gods on earth and, and perfect beings. We're dealing with people who themselves, if they exist, have gone through long periods of their own grief and tried to get things straight and d- developed enough to try to interact with us as a lesser developed race and not screw us up and not create more gods. It's a mess. And the calculations, the probabilities at this time, as I understand them, is in about 700 years, we'll be through all this stuff. We'll have straightened it out for ourselves. No ETs are going to come and do it for us. And that would only sit, believe me, more ETs is more trouble. And that's why you, all the UFO groups that are talking about benevolent extraterrestrials walking among us and to contact and let's go out into the desert, you are whistling Dixie, folks. And all the good people that you know, go for this disclosure, have a nice day. There are ETs, okay, we're told there's three races observing us now that will not interact at all, no contact, nothing. We occasionally will see some of their ships, but they ain't coming down into this mess, and they're not going to be party to setting in motion another couple thousand years of insanity. So we get to work it out in the trenches as the Catholic Church falls, as it will be falling, uh, as many other sources of prophecy have foretold that. But it's in the Meyer material as well, and it's you know this thing in France is is one of those signposts. Uh, Italy will then next find a lot of trouble, as will other you know countries that are already experiencing. It's because we're not taking responsibility to, to stop this. And here's one for the touchy feely liberal friends of mine among us: all the countries that are experiencing the problems of illegal immigration are allowing themselves to be imbalanced by it, and it's not compassionate. And it's not helpful. And it's because people have been allowed and encouraged to overbreed in their own countries with minimal education and economics and have become disadvantaged under the control of their governments and their church influences. And there are too many organisms vying for the same resources and contributing um, byproducts of consumption. There are certain things that are just mathematics and science. You... Put a terrarium on a tabletop and then keep introducing organisms into it to, to vie for the, you know, the, the product of the fecundity of the earth in there, and you'll find out that at a certain point it's fouled. And it's, not, it's no agenda to eliminate the population of the earth. They're trying to tell us, look, you are, you're overrunning yourselves here. And this is going to have people overrunning your borders. And the people that will overrun borders will come for a better life because they haven't created a good enough one in their country. It's not about bad people. 
I agree with you. It's not about bad people. And I feel very sad about what's going on. I wish there was a world passport. I really do. Well, it, 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 has, it will come with true responsibility. See, this is where you if, you, if you and I carry through on exactly what you said, we start taking responsibility for ourselves. That's still small voice inside. It says, wait a minute, I'm not going to have six kids here when I'm living in the dirt and there's nothing to farm and I can't support them. And I, now I've got to leave here to go there and then to send the money back in the meantime. Okay, then I'll bring the family here and now it's bunny breeding time here. And now what am I going to do because I'm working for minimal wage? Well, it's better. I mean, it's a, it's a dead end course. I had a real rude awakening, and I just have to tell you, when I came to California as a basically unskilled guy who was taught to play his guitar and paint nice pictures, and then I have a child to raise as a single parent at 32, and I'm working in car washes and restaurants and everything, you know, minimum wage jobs, I met some of the most wonderful, sweetest, hardworking people who were here and here illegally, but by golly, as nice as they and hardworking, they came, their first act that they made when they came to this country was to break the law. Now, I didn't see it that way at the time because that, that was not an issue to me. I'm just working with charming people. But we have to really be responsible. Listen, Billy Meyer doesn't matter. Play irons, UFOs, forget it. Wherever you get your wake-up call that we are responsible, then once you know that, there's no more excuses politically, religiously, any other way. I talked to a friend of mine, a man I hadn't seen in over 50 years. I had known him as a med student in Chicago. When I finally searched him out on the Internet, I found him as a retired physician in Beverly Hills. He was retired, but he was a person who was still doing research work to try and help straighten out the medical system. He's the man responsible for getting Martin Luther King Hospital closed because of all the you know, violations. He's, he went in and did that research to help protect people and got, got them shut down, for at least for a time, whatever. Anyhow, a nice Jewish guy, a nice... Presumably, the guy said to him one day, I said, hey, buddy, I, I hope you don't think I'm you know, out of my mind here, uh, but I think we have a real problem in this state with illegal immigration and the, and the medical system. And he turned and he looked at me really steely-eyed. And I thought, oh, boy, I'm about to really get it, you know, like how unfeeling I am. And he said to me, Michael, do you know how many billions of dollars this is costing us just in the medical field alone and the closure of emergency. He quit this whole thing. And I, I, I laughed out loud for that. I said, Oh my God, I didn't. He says, I'm in, I'm in, in this. I know what this is doing. People are just crazy. They don't understand that they're, you know, they're cutting off their own nose here. This, you're not going to have a medical system here for anybody, only for people that come here to birth. their. And he's not a prejudiced guy. It's, it's, it's not about that. It's about how things work, cause and effect, overpopulation, you got trouble. But you can't bring it up in the countries where the church is too strong or other reasons. You know, we, we don't have enough people to work. Uh, communists can think that way, too. So all this stuff, we can put everything aside when we get the message and I think you and I both have the message, whatever our personal opinions or beliefs about any number of things are, we know we're responsible. We're here to make a difference in this world. And that's what it's about. And the Meyer case is a mechanism, one that I work with to try to bring it because it will capture certain people's attention in different ways, for better or for worse. And it may help the, many people to become aware of their responsibility. And when that happens, then that's mission accomplished. What happens with people that want to go and meet them and study with them? 
There is no such thing because he doesn't basically he basically doesn't meet with people. Occasionally he'll come out if somebody's come and he knows about them or something and say hi. But he's not a guru. He's not somebody's teacher. Everything that people want, the most of it, they can get for free. Literally, just go to the website and my website and the ones linked from it have so much free information that you can educate yourself in this material and decide for yourself what value it has. You, there's, they're not giving classes. They, there is a spiritual teaching thing, but it's, it's in German for some, some of the people that work more closely with him who are fluent in German get some spiritual teaching information sent to them, particularly about much more precise and specific things that we're not at a place where we're really even familiar with the terminology and what it means, and it's not necessary. We have a whole chunk of the spiritual teaching in English on the website for free. So, and, and people who are working with him, who are also doing translations, who are very competent people, write articles about even the subtleties of some of the spiritual teaching. There's things in there on the power of our you know, thoughts, feelings, and, the, you know, uh, and you know, the, the pharmacy that is the human brain. And, and they write on so many things, uh, you know, and they refer to Bruce Lipton and different people who they think are writing and speaking about things that are so you know, closely aligned that we could understand it from that scientist's point of view, that they're on to this. I have a couple other questions yeah, before sure. we close today. We could truly go on for hours more, but two questions for you. First one is, what has been your relationship with Wendell Stevens, Colonel Wendell Stevens, and do you have anything you'd like to say about him? Sure. I probably first met Wendell about 20 years ago in all of this. Um, even a little farther back, I had met uh, Lee and Britt Elders, the uh, two private investigators that worked with him, who were the main skeptics in the investigation, <laughs> investigative team. And Wendell always, always, always struck me as a gentlemanly guy, as someone who is very congruent. He, uh, I always, I would say, drop a quarter in Wendell and look out, because he'll go for, I mean, he, he would make me look like I'm a mime. A, a mute, you know, he could go for eight hours easily, just on and on about all the information from his research. And he, he just was, you know, true to, he was, a, he was a true to the process kind of person. Now he himself, because he had certain religious beliefs, and he also had certain concerns about his life, didn't put everything in his own translations that he found in the Meyer material. He left that for some of the more recent translations because he knew they'd be very hot button and he even acknowledges it in his work but he was a straight on guy if you see videos with him we've got uh, some in, in DVD and there's someone probably on the internet but if you you see him speak about this he's genuine he talks about how the CIA always picked him up and interrogated them and the hot what that process was he talks about things that happened to him that were a little unfortunate and other people have filled in how, you know, things that happened to Wendell. But suffice it to say, I thought he was a stellar person. He was a great investigator. I think he also went off in some tangents with other stuff because he was a very trusting person. And maybe you could say, well, it's a double-edged sword that he trusts too much in the Meyer case. But there were so many other people involved in that investigation and even subsequent independent work by Gary Kinder and the stuff I've been able to do in others. I interviewed Gary. Did you? Yeah, I interviewed Gary about Ship of Gold, the other book he wrote. Oh. And I asked Gary about his first book, and he didn't really want to talk about it no, much. No, <laughs> he doesn't, because he has been, oh, he's been harassed oh, enormously. And the interesting thing, just a quick note about him, he has people like Michael Malin, 
Michael Maland, Mars, uh, you know, project uh, was Mars. He's got this whole thing down in San Diego, and I, I've got it linked on the website. Maland came out basically supporting the authenticity of the Meyer photos, but he and uh, Kinder and others who were quoted at the time, they got some, you know, a little pressure put on them. I mean, Gary Kinder. He had skeptics after him, and he probably had a few other people putting, but he did a very smart thing that nobody can now dispute. He went to each of those people that he interviewed, and he had them read what he was going to publish, and he had them sign off so that the publisher wouldn't get sued. So Michael Malin and anybody else in there, Robert Post, Robert Nathan, all these people, they can't go back and say, we never said that. They signed off on it. and they, He is a lawyer, you know, so that was brilliant. <laughs> you know what? He did his bit, and if Gary Kinder wants to lay low on anything pertaining to Meyer from here on, goodness gracious, uh, I don't blame him for not wanting that heat. But he was brilliant to do that, and these people, they can't walk away from it. They know the case is real, and they don't want their funding to be tampered with and all the rest. I understand. I totally understand that. And that's, by the way, how the climatologists feel across the earth. They don't want their funding cut, so they're going to go with the flow. Anything else you'd like to say about Wendell? No, just that I, I found him to be just a good guy, a sweet man. And uh, I knew him, you know, in his 80s and all, and we interviewed him in the film. And he told the truth as he knew it. That was Wendell. He did not lie. He didn't fudge stuff. He respected Meyer because of Meyer's truthfulness. And that was a wonderful thing. And he spoke about that very openly. The next question and the last question of this segment, what is your primary concerns about the planet vis-a-vis Billy Myers' prophecies? Yes. Well, as I say, my personal mission in life is, strangely enough, to help prove the prophecies wrong. <laughs> I have to laugh about it after all we've spoken about. And that what that means to me, having my, my recognizing early on, I'm not calling this a, a, an objective truth, but my recognizing early on that Meyer's information about the environment was so important. I'll back it up and say in 1968, I co-wrote with some friends an animated uh, episode called Captain Tim and the Little Pollutions about a space hero who went with his friends to try and solve an air pollution problem on another planet. We did this in New York City. I came out here, tried to sell it to Filmation, a big animation studio, and they told me, who cares about air pollution? That was 1970. So I've been very sensitive to this whole issue for a long time. I pioneered a lot of things in water purification in the 80s, whole other story. I've been into this, my first song in 1970 that I wrote when I got to L.A., We Are One with Brother River, Mother Earth and Sister Air, was about the environment. When I saw Meyer's information that, uh, and the information he was being given, which is what I first saw, about the environment and what we were doing to it and the threat to our lives, uh, our, the people of Earth and the coming time, what it would bring over the decades of time, that troubled me so much that I wanted to bring the information as a warning sign so that people would look into it and not buy the party line on, oh, it doesn't matter what we do, it all goes away by itself. We don't even have to touch you know, global warming to talk about. Totally understand. What are some other things along with the concern for the environment that are deeply concerning you? Well, when I, again, back in the uh, late, uh, well, or mid-80s when I was reading the material and they were warning from the 50s, he was being told about how fundamentalist religions were going to come to a head during the coming times, the new millennium was going to be bad and all. I was seeing that in the prophecies, what they were talking about is 
these the things that were not inevitabilities, and there's a lot of talk about how people could change things and how we could put down wars and you know insurrections and rebellions and terrorism and crime and all this stuff. How we could use non-toxic energy. They, I just read a, a thing the other day. Someone slipped to me, and I'm waiting till they get the translation out. Had the library at Alexandria not been burned, we're told here in the Meyer material. By the, you know, the church hadn't destroyed all this stuff, we would now be in about our 200th year of space travel because of the information that was destroyed from some of the early geniuses and other things that came, even probably from some ETs. We were set back so far, and we've been running on this polluting petroleum nonsense for so long. We're choking ourselves to death on all this. Uh, I joked to myself when I was 17 when I saw the exhaust coming out of the back of a bus in Chicago. I said, gee, the fossils are coming back to get us. How little did I know at that time that it were, where my, my life would take me in terms of finding out just how true it was, even though it's not really fossils. But the, to answer this question, it's about the, the core thing of self-responsibility. I learned how to think from reading this material. I did not grow up as an academic, and I'm not claiming to be a genius. I grew up as a strictly right-brain creative guy. And by going through the Meyer material, I started to understand and to think and to learn about logic and cause and effect and how things worked, even when I was being emotionally triggered by what I was reading because of my own beliefs. Name a few specific concerns. The environment is one of them. The environment is one, the fact that we are so polarized in belief systems. The, the, the other prophecy that really does bother me, which I think is a prediction, to be honest with you, and I've read it now in two separate tracks, is the United States will have two civil wars, one following upon the other, and it can't be helped but that the country will break up into five territories under various sectarian dictatorial rule. I read that in 86. When Meyer first published in 81, I laughed out loud. Two civil wars coming to America? What have you been smoking? I am not laughing, and uh, not at this point. And I think we see it clear as day. The precipita- uh, you know, precipitating factors are, uh, of course, things like uh, illegal immigration, but the scapegoating of people, uh, which is not what is supposed to happen, uh, is going to play a big factor here. The fact that the populace has been uh, too impatient and stupid to understand the better part of what Obama is doing, and I didn't vote for him, by the way. So you're concerned about the environment. You're concerned about... What else? I'm concerned about... The Not just you, actually, Billy Myers, from his predictions. From his predictions, I'm concerned about the polarization of religions, the fact that these types of polarizations are, are bringing perhaps civil war to our country, more war on the earth, uh, on the world. I'm, I'm very disturbed about his own uh, information about a dark force uh, of uh, high-level banking and military people that move these agendas strictly for their own uh, purposes, including the UFO agenda to further the arms race and stuff like that. I'm concerned about those things. I'm most concerned, though, that we come back to taking responsibility for ourselves, learning how to think. Yep. Okay. That's the core of it. And everything else would be getting straightened out with good education. I want to thank you for being a guest today. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for turning an hour into two. Oh, my goodness. I think you have advanced energy technology from somewhere else to be able to do that. I'm amazed. Thank you, seriously, for sharing your time, your background, your work with Billy Myers, predictions, his story, and the important aspects of your work. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking to Michael Horn, who's the producer of The Silent Revolution of Truth. You can reach him at theyfly.com. Thank you again, and I look forward to you coming back. I'm going to be armed and ready for you next time. (laughs) Oh, please. Let's do it again and again. I'm going to be armed with a lot of rain crystals. Good. Seriously, thank you so much. My pleasure.